The Missing Chapters podcast is a serial-based show where we take one case and break it down into a manageable workflow. Some names may be changed to protect the innocent. This show may not be suitable for all ages. This season, we will be focusing on our efforts on Paul David Sanders. Let's review from the last chapter. In the last chapter, we told you who Paul was and the mention that a pursuit happened. Today, we get into those details or lack thereof. So the missing person report states Paul is missing from Mesa, but the truck may suggest otherwise. Robert was notified, his father, by phone that a registered vehicle in his name was in pursuit on August 12th by Tucson DPS. So I'm going to read page two again of the original missing persons report. And so we can kind of reflect back on last chapter and start touching more into some of the stuff that's in this in the supplemental report. On 8-14-2001 at 1700 hours, I responded to their address in reference to a missing juvenile. Upon arrival, I spoke with Robert Brewer. Robert told us that his son, Paul Sanders, had been gone since Sunday the 12th. Robert said that Paul had been had left the residence at approximately 1030 hours in his silver Chevy Z71 pick, which I did post a picture of that truck in the missing, the missing chapters podcast uh, closed group. It is not his truck. It was just one I could find on the internet that resembled his truck. And we should make notation that this is the truck that Paul typically used but it was registered to Robert. Correct. We're out there that dad was pretty upset about how the report was handled and his truck being stolen. But I want to preface that we do have the Carfax. That vehicle had never been reported stolen. Um, so then we found out about the pursuit in the missing, Mitchell missing persons report. I started contacting Tucson, uh, Department for the Arizona Department of Public Safety, which is their version. For those of you here in Missouri or other states, AZDPS is their version of the Highway Patrol. Um, so I started contacting them and I put some screenshots as well in the group about how many times I contacted them, just struggling trying to get his their report on and to pursue so many missed opportunities there so i requested i have well i stopped screenshotting at um seven attempts this is going back as far as oh what's the first one 9 28 2022 which i know there was some before that actually it was pretty close to when we first started helping which was like july-ish i think i have the first year. I have the first FOIA request to AZDPS being on July 31st, 2022. Yep, I think you're right. You're right. I just stopped screenshotting and making copies of things after a certain attempt, after a certain point, because quite frankly, my computer is getting full um, and it's starting to struggle on, on the lookout for a new computer. So um, we did find out, though that and i don't remember how we found out that oro valley police department assisted in it we found out that. uh we actually found out because of the pima request so when we started this we didn't just like willy-nilly go oh what what police department do we want to find out about paul we knew that the truck was found in tucson and we knew that he was reported missing from mesa so our initial first steps was actually filing those reports to Mesa and to Pima County. So Tucson and Arizona right. area. And in there, they reported the incident of when the first phone call was made, um, when they contacted Robert for the police chase, all of these other things. And they said in their last report that the initial call was made by Arizona DPS and it was followed up by Oro Valley which shout out to them. They are incredible, awesome, an amazing agency. And then it was also kind of touch base that they were communicating with Tucson and Pima County. That's right. 
And then I found a continuation to the missing persons report. I can only, because it's not dated on this page, so I'm assuming that it was all on the 14th because it goes on in the in the original report on 1931 hours paul was entered as a missing juvenile by a records clerk with mesa pd with a photo of him attached which i thought was weird that they had used last the prior year school picture when we had new pictures of paul they didn't give him a new picture i did kind of it clicked when we were going through yearbooks so that's an old picture of paul it wasn't a recent one which i did upload a recent picture of paul as well the most recent one yeah that, that picture um, that was updated by mesa pd initially um would have been august of 2000 that was taken and i know your update picture was basically may june of 2001 right yeah, because the one I the, the one I uploaded was the last known picture of Paul. So it goes on to say that um, he left a message with um, investigator Keith Dixon, who was the head of investigations at the time, apprising of the situation. And at twenty one thirty hours, he spoke to him again to give him updated information. So that's what makes me think that this next page for the continuation report. It says 2230 hours, but it's not dated. But it says at 2230 hours, I received additional information from Deputy Gonzalez from Pima County Sheriff's Office. Deputy Gonzalez advised that the vehicle was located in Reddington Pass, mile marker 16, which is east of Tucson. When the deputy looked in the vehicle, he saw a wallet, a set of keys, and was unable to check the identification in the wallet. Deputy Gonzalez said he would send a deputy out to the vehicle on 8-15-01. So it leads me to believe that this information came to him in the middle, pretty close to the middle of the night, like at 1130 at night on the 14th. And so the next day they were going to go out and check the vehicle because now they got a missing person attached. And it's we also have to remember. We also have to take into consideration that Arizona is a desert. And a lot of these areas that are desert areas aren't well lit. And you probably, when you want to go look through a car, look for fingerprints, look for blood, look for anything forensically, potentially, you you want some light. And, you know, a couple hours in comparison to a couple days, I'll take it. Right. Well, and then you've not only got that, but now that he's missing, if it was a potential crime scene, you can't just go in and start rummaging through things. There's protocol, and I understand that. You've got... You can't just go in and search the vehicle because you want to. You can look in the window and see what you can see from an outside of the vehicle, but you can't enter that vehicle without a warrant. Correct. So they didn't have enough information yet to get a warrant, but you can look in the window. There's no expectation of privacy from standing outside looking into a window. He could see there's a wallet, but that's why he couldn't check for identification because he would have had to cross that breach that entrance of the vehicle and you can't do that without a warrant and carrie so. you you know this but our listeners don't know this i actually dealt with an abandoned car in my front yard not even a week ago and nobody touched the car they walked around it they took pictures and they were basically awaiting to see if there was a response within 30 minutes and then they called the tow truck and moved it very fast but it was completely different than how I've heard Paul's case was managed. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So we know there was a pursuit. We know Arizona DPS was involved in the pursuit. How do we know that? Because they are the ones that contacted dad. Follow it up. We also know that because they found the vehicle. Pima County says, yeah, we found the vehicle. We start digging a little bit more and find out Laurel Valley was involved. Now, like Jill said, Oro Valley has been outstanding to us. And I certainly appreciate all the assistance they have given us. Um, they went out of their way of not only saying, yep, here's the, I called them. And they went out of their way of giving me a, a direct phone number. They gave me a direct email address. Um, she's like, yep, here's the report number because you can only go back 10 years with their FOIA system. So I couldn't do a traditional FOIA. So she gave me an email address and said, just email me and tell me what you want. 
here's the report number, but you got to request it in writing. Sweet. I can do that. I emailed her and in less than a week, I had an email back. And then about a weekish later, I get this mysterious envelope in the mail and I'm like, what is this? Not only did she send me the report, she sent me the CAD information, everything for their supplemental reports and stuff. Um, so in the meantime, Arizona Department of, Corre uh, Department of Public Safety keeps telling me, we got no record, we got no record, we got no record. And I'm like, so finally I sent one of the requests, I was even snarky enough to, because their response to me was, well, this is your third attempt. And I'm like, I'm going to send you 300 attempts if that's what it takes to get the information. So if anybody who knows me knows that if you respond to me in a snarky ma manner, I'm going to respond to you in kind. So I copied everything from Oro Valley, as well as some of the stuff from Pima County, as well as Paul's missing Prince report submitted it all to them and i said i know i'm not an investigator never claim to be one still don't claim to be one however i can count one and one equals two and when i've got two agencies telling me that this pursuit happened this pursuit happened and when both agencies independently are telling me that your agency was involved your agency was involved <laughs> their respond to me is well the only thing that we have is um trooper peter curley just requested a cancellation report do you want to pay for that yes yes i do please send it to me in writing how much you guys drop the ball and are now by the way could potentially be civilly liable for the any damages that have occurred because they did not trooper curley didn't want to spend the time to write a report. Apparently, report writing is not in his wheelhouse. So now we've got all kinds of dropped balls. Um, the report we got from, let me make sure I have the right agency. The report I have from Oro Valley is on August 12, 2001. At 2156 hours, communications advised Arizona Department of Public Safety was in an active pursuit of a possible drunk driver southbound Arizona 77 at mile marker 97. The vehicle had Arizona license plate MZK878. And I have said that so many times now and typed that number so many times. I now know Paul's license plate by heart. It was, and the vehicle was gray in color. Myself, and Officer Bott were at Oracle. I'm going to mess up the name of it. So here comes Carrie's Arizona bless, uh, speech lesson. Vistaroso? Is it Vistaroso? I have no Carrie. idea. The ISTOSO Commerce Loop standing by, a, standing by to possibly deploy stop sticks. Communication advised the pursuit was still active and the pursuing officer was going code three, which means expedited emergency equipment with lights and sirens, and they were approaching the county line. I continued to stand by waiting to see the pursuit lights coming southbound AZ-77 at Oracle Road to deploy stop sticks. While waiting, I saw a gray truck pass by at a high rate of speed. There was no patrol vehicles of any kind behind this truck, nor following a distance behind. I continued to wait. Sergeant D. Reedy was able to get behind this truck, southbound Oracle, from Tangerine Road and determined it was the vehicle they were pursuing. Sergeant Reedy observed a near-miss near miss rear-end collision with a truck and another vehicle at Perchview and Oracle. How bad did I screw that name up? Did I get it right? Oracle Perchview? Junction? Perchview and Oracle? Perchview? Did I say it right? I was really close. Oh, no, no, no. You're talking about Push Ridge. P-U-S-C-H? V-I-E-W. Pushview. Yeah. Okay, I was really close. 
you guys will see that Carrie gets a lot of speech lessons because Carrie cannot speak Arizonian. Arizona. But luckily for y'all, I can speak Arizonan. And in the beginning of our research, a lot of the time my job was to call because people wouldn't believe Carrie and another person that was involved um, were from the state because of how they said words. Yeah, we, we can't say those words. At least I don't call it Texan. <laughs> no, so never again. <laughs> He advised they were now going code three. Officer Sicklebauer was able to set up at Linda Vista and Oracle with stop sticks. His patrol vehicle was parked with stop sticks. His patrol vehicle, his patrol vehicle was parked on Linda Vista west of Oracle and advised for pursuing officers to go to the right as passing through. As Officer Sicklebauer deployed the stop sticks as a single unit, half in the slow and half in the fast lane. The truck went into the left-hand turn lane and avoided the stop sticks. Officer Reedy's patrol vehicle was stuck by the stick and flattened the driver's side tire. The truck continued southbound at a very high rate of speed. Arizona DPS Officer Curley met with us and advised he did not know Oro Valley was standing by at Vistro Commerce Loop with sticks or LT would have continued code 3. Communications did advise they repeatedly told AZDPS communications of their hour standby status. The pursuit began in Mammoth AZ at 2150 hours. So from point A, from Mammoth to Oracle Valley is way more than six minutes. Yeah. How far did we, wasn't that like 40 or 45 minutes typically? Um, it is from Mammoth to Oro Valley is 41 minutes and it's 35.7 miles. Right. And so the only thing I could think of is they heard about it as they were coming through Mammoth or, and just used Mammoth because it was close maybe at 2150 hours because I'm not quite sure how they only got six minutes in there. But sounds well, like they more than did the due diligence. We also have to take into consideration that when we're talking about Paul's disappearance, it initially said Paul went missing from Mesa. And I live in the Valley of the Sun, so Phoenix metro area. Um, when you ask anybody, and I did, I asked 10 different people I know, and I said, hey, what's the quickest way to get to Tucson? And they said, oh, you take the 10 on down. So other things have kind of come up where we discovered about this car chase and we were like, oh, it's the 77. You can't go from Mesa to the 77 without hitting globe. Right. And that brings another kind of added facet is, so did this pursuit or situation actually start in globe in Gila County? Right. And, and Globe to about know. Mammoth is about like, I want to say it's like 20 minutes. It's not far. And maybe, and going down the 77, if you look stuff up on YouTube or anything like that, the 77 is how I imagine Arizona when I was a child. Very dusty, deserty. There's not a lot of turnoffs. If you are going somewhere on the 77, you already know where you're going and you know how you're going to get there. If you're new right, to the you're road, you're, if you're, you're stopping at Mammoth to get gas before you're heading on to Tucson. <laughs> exactly. It's one of those places where it's very small. It's an old mining town. There's not much there. And right. there's nothing wrong with that. But it definitely is a sign that the car was initially spotted with potential drunk driver at Mammoth versus Globe. Right. Or Dudleyville or Tiger or any of those other small kind of cities. And that 35, you know, 35 mile stretch, he made it in six minutes. We got to remember, Paul's 17 years old. How many 17 very new driver. <laughs> of like what we figured out, wasn't it around like only having his license for about six months? 
Yeah, six to eight months is what I was able to find out. So six to eight months, new driver. Um, he's not from Arizona, so he doesn't know all about our roads. He might know that area and may have driven it, going to see a family member or going to a U of A game or something like that. We're not going to discount that. But he also was living in Mesa. So his access to that road could be completely different. And most people, unless they've driven that road quite often, you're not going to be speeding, causing problems, doing anything like that without knowing the road. I mean, I know teenage kids are kind of cocky and um, think that they're invincible. And especially teenage boys that are like, I'm made of steel and nothing's going to happen to me. But when you've only got your license six, eight months and it's in a very remote area like that, I, I've been driving since I was 17, so over 30 years. I don't think I would have been cocky enough with my driving experience to be that brave to attempt it. And from all records that we have, you had to be a pretty damn good driver to evade him like that. I mean, he evades stop sticks. He, all of these things he had been evading for at Not a bad for a drunk speed. driver. Not bad for a drunk right. driver. Right. Quote unquote drunk driver. However, we don't know because we don't have anything. They did go on to add a supplemental report. Oral Valley did. It said no Oral Valley Police Department officer can identify the driver. In this case, it is an assist other agency and a copy of the case will be forwarded to the Department of Public Safety. They can't, DPS can't even say, confirm or deny whether they've got this report because they would have had nothing to it. So in my background in law enforcement, in order to have something to attach a supplemental report to, you have to actually have a report to supplement. So if Officer Curley never did a report, he only requested the report number to be canceled so that way he didn't have to do the paperwork there would be nothing for them to attach this to. So they would have just went, all right, I don't know what to do with this. And it probably just went in the shredder at this point. I don't know what else. Um, but I guess that, that brings to a good question is like, if, you know, things were tied that said, you know, Robert owned the car, his son was missing. And we've kind of talked about how, like, that information got passed around from Tucson to Mesa. And I'm going to guess it probably got sent to DPS for a be on the lookout for a kid. Right. I so, would think, well, as soon as Paul was entered as a missing person anyway, that would have automatically. So most people are under the under impression that you go to law enforcement, you file a missing persons report, and they say they're going to enter them into the system that it doesn't go anywhere with that. When in fact, when you enter that person missing into the system, it automatically goes into NCIC. And NCIC has a tendency to go ahead and um, distribute that information automatically to surrounding agencies. So my guess is DPS, well, first of all, DPS is the one that's gonna be monitoring NCIC for the FBI within the state of Arizona. So because the FBI is who's in charge of NCIC, but they allow the state highway patrol agencies to actually um, kind of babysit it themselves. Because can you imagine there's how many law enforcement agencies out there? If it was just the FBI babysitting, that's a lot. It's already a lot when it's 50 we got to also take into consideration highway patrols all over the state. And I know for Arizona specifically that if you do have a child that is a minor, um, it is entered into AZDPS. You can just Google search it. AZDPS missing children. You can type in their name, certain features, whatever. Even if there's a potential other car or maybe they were with something, usually that's entered. It's not like full swing like Missouri Highway Patrol that you get a poster and everything, but you get a little blurb. And right. that's a, that's great. I I wish we could get a picture, but, you know, nothing's 100%. And this is AZDPS. I have to remind myself that, like, sometimes you got to take what you can get, but everything can be improved upon. Right. So 
some agencies, not that I'm like patting Missouri on the back or anything, and we're really, really good at that kind of stuff. So in Missouri, when you enter someone as a missing person and it goes into NCIC, Missouri, we have the MULES, Missouri Uniform Law Enforcement Services System. System. I'm impressed. I remember the acronym. So we have MULES. So law enforcement enters in the MULES, and then a small section in Kansas City and a small section in St. Louis also has what's called Regis. Subpar, in my opinion, but hey, I'm a MULES girl. Um, <laughs> when we enter into MULES, a missing person, it automatically goes into NCIC, just like every other state, but it also, Missouri has a pretty outstanding missing person section on the Missouri Highway Patrol website. So as soon as we enter it into MULES and it goes to NCIC, it automatically uploads to Missouri State Highway Patrol. They don't have to say, hey, I need this entered. Missouri automatically does it, which I think is pretty outstanding. And the flip side of that, as soon as someone is located that's a missing person and they remove the entry, it automatically comes off the website. So there's not a whole lot of making sure this stuff happens because it's already happening in the background. As you're doing the entry, it's going on for you. As soon as you have just a basic information, name, date of birth, and there's like two or three other things that are main identifiers. Once you get that in there, boom, it's done. You can add supplemental and it'll just continue to update the actual website automatically. But now that we're like but now that we're talking about how good Missouri is, and I understand you love your state, that's fine. We have to kind of take into consideration how much of this case is actually lost because one person didn't file a a form saying, hey, I changed this car. This is where it started. This is where it stopped. Right. Exactly. So, and let me give them the benefit of the doubt and double check because as early as what date was it? Uh, July 31st. That I did. Yes. So, no, the most recent one I did. I just did another FOIA. It was, in Mar it was March of 2023. Right. That's right. Because so most of them, I get a response back like within two weeks going, nope, no such record, no such record, no such record, no such record. This doesn't exist. It never happened. So in March, I entered another request, this time saying, I know there's no report, but I also know her, the person who told me, because I gave her name in the request, that there is a record out there, the cancellation report, and that's what I want. And yes, I am willing to pay for it. And I put it just like that in this in this report. Here it is, May 8th, and I still don't have a yes, no, or a kiss my butt. So I'm going to start harassing um, the AZDPS by email because... I'm good like that. I got their email address and I'm going to start harassing them via email until somebody answers me. So I'm, I'm let's kind of take a step back and kind of think as angry and frustrated as you are, we kind of have to think and go, what questions are we trying to get answered from this cancellation report or any other kind of thing? Are we trying to find out if there's only one person in the car? Maybe there's two people. Why did you suspect a drunk driver? Uh, did we get to kind where of did the person, where did the pursuit actually start? Did it start in Mammoth? Did it start in Globe? Did it start somewhere in the middle? We don't even know for a fact where this thing started. We just know where Oro Valley found out about it. And I guess the other big question is where did it actually finish? Because the last we know of is what happened to Officer Curley and getting stop stick. We didn't know did he go south? Did he go east? Which way did he turn? Was he still at a high velocity of speed once he evaded police? And right. I guess the other kind of part is we're, we're in a truck. We're not in like, you know, a Honda Civic or an SUV of any sort. A truck has a bed. Did he notice right. anything in the bed? Did he notice anything in the cab of the truck? Did he notice what? the bed was covered? Was I mean it covered? Was it full? Um, did he notice, like, if there was a toolbox in it? Was there any distinguishing features? Because that plays a large role of, okay, we know 
that it was covered. Okay, great. It was covered. By the time it was found, there was no cover on it. So what happened? Was it always covered? What did the truck look like before Paul even left? Yeah, we know that there was no cover on the truck when it was found, but we don't know. Was there something in the truck at the start of the pursuit? Was the tailgate down on the truck? Did the trooper at any point in time? So when I dispatched, I worked with multiple pursuits. I was involved in a lot of pursuits. And at least one time in every pursuit that I've ever worked, to my knowledge, at some point in time, that driver looked at the side view mirror to see who was behind him. Maybe he can move over. What is that officer doing behind him? They're going to look in that side view mirror as well as the rear view on their windshield. Did Curly ever find a way out? That? Right. Did Curly ever make any kind of eye contact with him? Did he see him good enough at all to see if it was a male driver, a female driver, an old driver, a young driver? Was there more than without, one person? Right. Without this paperwork, there is so much that is just lost in this case, which is so that kind of So that only leaves us to speculate, right? We know that from the information we've provided that the chase happened on the 12th, started in Mammoth, and ended in Oro Valley, correct? Or Oracle Junction? Right, right. And at that point is where the officer was stopped stick and the truck just kept right on going. At and then on the sport, and then late at night on the 14th, they find the truck in the Catalina foothills, which is about 45 minutes away. Right. So that's where we get to. We followed up with Pima County to find out about the vehicle being located and, um, I have the supplemental report that was also in the missing persons report. We're starting to get to the point of the original missing persons report, though, that it's starting to get rather thin on information. Um, the supplemental in here is on Wednesday, 8 15, 2001, at approximately 0800 hours. I was notified a vehicle was located at the Reddington Pass at approximately mile post 16.2. I was notified the vehicle had been in a high speed chase with AZDPS in Oro Valley. And that the suspect, Paul David Sanders, was reported as a runaway juvenile from Mesa. The request by Mesa PD for Pima County Sheriff's Department to recover the victim vehicle had been made through communications. So basically, they just sent a message, hey, can you guys go check out this vehicle, maybe go recover it for us. Which, that, that tracks, that, that's typical. So I responded to the location noting a silver pickup truck. I... It was noted approximately 300 yards south of Reddington Road near the top of a peak. There is no known road to that location. The vehicle had been driven off-road and damage was noted to the undercarriage and body of the vehicle. Family members also arrived at the location to examine the vehicle. I initiated a search operation for the subject in the immediate area. Family members and I searched in the immediate area without finding any obvious signs of the subject. I coordinated with the Arizona Department of Public Safety Ranger helicopter in which searched the area and subsequently the helicopter crew informed me that no signs were noted in the immediate area. Frontier Towing was able to secure the vehicle from the site and tow the vehicle to a storage facility. And then that was that was on 8-15. The dates are all a little screwy on the report. I'm just giving it to you as it was in for me. I also have also part of the same original missing persons report. 8-13-13 at approximately 18-30 hours, I was assigned to the Special Operations Air Support Unit. I was requested to contact a subject named Angela Rice. I contact, which is Paul's mom. I contacted her at her telephone by which Obviously, they redacted that phone number. This was a reference to a past case. Nope, this is later on. She calls to get an update. This isn't what I thought it was. But I do have the CAD information. So, Carrie, so, can you tell me what CAD is? Because not all of us are super in and hip with police lingo. Sure thing. So, CAD is shorthand for Computer Aided Dispatch. 
So when you call this, you call 911 or you call the non-emergency line and you speak to a dispatcher or a call taker, depending on the agents, they have a program called Computer Aid Dispatch. They all vary a little bit, but they all do the same basic function. They take the notes from the caller, um, any notes from the officers, any person, place, thing involved in the, any information is is put in here and it's basically like a huge notepad that's connected directly to the report and when a report number is issued it's issued through this dispatch program it's a jack of all trades program that you can put everything in the person who called so where the the whatever situation is is happening at the address there vehicle information, people information, stolen property information, um, pretty much everything is in here. And so when Oro Valley sent us the supplemental report, right, supplemental, thank you, my brain is much at this point tonight, um, they sent us a copy of the CAD, which they had as well from the first um, vehicle being located. And it gives the report numbers. I stand corrected. I did not get this CAD from Oro Valley. This specific CAD I got from Pima County because this is about the vehicle being located. Um, and as I'm reading through it, I can see that now. So there is two other report numbers initially tied to the vehicle being located one can only, i can only imagine the initial report number was someone called and said hey um there's this vehicle parked out here and something just doesn't look right you might want to send the police out here to check it out kind of thing and then the second report number i imagine is when they actually went out there because it's just kind of in a notes it's called the call taker comment section and we should mention Ruddington Pass isn't small by any means. By it's, any means. It's very vast. It's beautiful. There's a lot of biking, a lot of hiking. Sometimes people even go shooting out there. But the area where his car was found, the truck, it it's not around any massive sites. There was a ranch around there at the point in time that was not really functional. So... It's just an absurd place. Should Carrie, do you want to talk about, you know, what happened when police actually found the truck? What happened to the stuff inside? You mentioned they found some cards, a cell phone. What yeah, ended up happening? Found, so they found his keys, they found his wallet in the vehicle, they found his cell phone in the vehicle. Um, family shows up, law enforcement. At this point, they don't consider it a quote-unquote crime. He's a missing kid. They just, instead of saying, kid's still missing, found the truck, he might be out here. We might want to, like, process this vehicle and see if there's anything pokey going on. Um, they didn't. They just took all the property out of the truck, gave it to Dad. Your towing took the vehicle for insurance to do what insurance does truck was never seen again um so you're telling me that weird that truck wasn't that truck wasn't fingerprinted or photographed or anything like that there was no fingerprinting done um there was no photographs of the vehicle taken at least that's what i am being told by pima county that the vehicle had never been fingerprinted um and had no luminol, no processing, no nothing. Frontier Towing picked it up, took it to the tow yard, never to be seen again. Was never held as evidence, nothing. So yet another place that we've completely lost a lot of information. And, and I will say, I will say I contacted Frontier Towing uh, in the beginning of our 
kind of hunt for answers and they were like hey we don't keep records past seven years which would have been great information luckily because we had the foyas we had the other records we were able to get a vin number and get the car back so what can you tell me about that carrie so uh, according to the carfax there was a claim because the vehicle was damaged um it received a salvage title but then a, a couple years later it received a rebuild title which means they were able to fix the vehicle and make it legally drivable again there was no report of it being stolen nothing else the only thing that was ever reported that's attached to that VIN, which I have the full VIN number. Um, the only thing that was on there was a was towed and an insurance claim for salvage to be a, uh, did a salvage title. They did a payoff on the insurance. The insurance just paid the note off on the truck in the amount of $14,575 and 13 cents. Um, that was the original amount owed on the vehicle. I don't know if that was still what was owed on it. That was what was owed on it with when it was purchased. Um, on 9-8-2000 is when the truck was purchased. I have the insurance, company, the insurance company's name. I have the finance company's name. So the only thing that happened is truck was bought. Truck was wrecked insurance paid paid off truck truck got salvage title truck had a rebuild title truck is now out on the road somewhere again so we're trying to find a way to have the bed search done on that truck to find out who owns it um i can't just give out a vendor and say hey if you own this truck please reach out to us um people think well it's been 23 years now 22 years there's no way there is a way dna never leaves i don't care how much you clean a vehicle well we can even talk about what happened with Alyssa attorney she also went missing right. from phoenix arizona in 2001 and it was like what two three years ago they found the truck and they were able to pull dna from it and that truck hadn't been yep. in their possession since 2001 which I right. think is really important to recognize is even though Phoenix is not Mesa or, you know, Gila County or Pima or Pinnell or every other County we've contacted, but people can take, you know, ideas from other agencies to do good work. Well, and the advancement of DNA now is just amazing. It takes a microscopic amount from a microscopic amount to make a match. I mean, minuscule, ahead of a pen amount of a blood drop that is not even really visible with the human eye, but is found with stuff like luminol, it's fluorescent when it's sprayed on a bodily fluids um they could still take that minute diluted amount and still make a match with it so why not they try could it find that truck, right if they could find that truck they might be able to say okay so this person originally owned it because you can find out very easily by running a van on everybody who ever owned that vehicle how do I know? I used to do it. You could do it right through N um, NCIC. I used to do it all the time. And maybe you could maybe that's something we should leave this episode with is this information has been passed on to police. It's not like we're gatekeeping. We're holding anything back. When we find something that's important that should be shared and released, we're doing it because they have right. different powers than we do. Exactly. I mean, we can't go out and use luminol on things. We can't go say, hey, give me that truck so I can test it. We can't do any of that stuff. I have the investigator's name and phone number, and I can message him at a drop of a hat. He's more than willing to take the information. This investigator is more than willing 
to take anything that we can give him and look into it. I have sent him, I can't tell me, emails, text messages, phone calls going, hey, dude, I just thought about this. He's like, good job. I'll look into it. I'll follow up. So this investigator is more than willing to do that. And that's Not the other thing we should bring up is our next episode is going to be about Mesa. And I will be your tour guide because I know a lot about Arizona. I know a lot about Mesa. And I think it's really important to look at, especially with the other missing persons cases that are involved, how often things switch hands, um, losing evidence. But that's for next time. As always, missing chapters always ends their episode with a UP which that means an unidentified person. So today, since we talked so much about Mammoth, Arizona, we're, we're going to talk about it some more. Uh, this UP's number is UP6619. And this Caucasian male was found on February 18th, 2006 in the Mammoth vicinity in Arizona. And this is in Pinal County, which is just south of Gila County and Globe. And where the pursuit started. Um, the estimated age range is 23 to 35 years old. Um, his estimated year of death is 2001 to 2004. And it's important to kind of listen along and kind of go, so why are we talking about him? He has a similar estimated year of death. He's about five foot nine. And he's close enough in age. It states that he is white Caucasian. You know, some people, if they look at the bones and the bodies of somebody, they could make the suggestion that Paul was fully Caucasian. Um, pretty easily. Um, some of the circumstances of this recovery I do find interesting and something just to have like a light bulb in the back of my head was that a hunter located these remains in a remote desert area that gives you an idea of how remote, how desert the 77 actually is. And if you look on NamUs at unidentified people at any point in time, you can see that Gila County has very few UPs. They even have very few missing people. So for this to pop up and we know, Paul's background, we're like, we got to get him checked. Unfortunately, this isn't Paul, because if it was, we wouldn't be having this podcast. Right. But about Paul. it's always, you know, leading that around. I will mention some of his clothing and accessories, which are very globe rodeo-esque. Um, so if you do have a missing loved one that was potentially in globe superior, Hayden, Winkleman, San Carlos Reservation. Um, just kind of listen up. Uh, this person was wearing Wrangler brand jeans. Inside one pants pocket was one $5 bill folded around a domino and secured with a rubber band. I kind of find that to be really unique in comparison to other people. Um, and then the other part- He probably carried around on the regular is kept that $5 bill protecting that domino for something. Yeah, or like, you know, a lot of people would just keep money in a wallet. Right. But it it's kind of sounds like, you know, when you have like a dollar, a, a money roll where you roll up money and then you just put a rubber band over it. I've never heard of it with a domino. So that might be something that sticks out and somebody might go, you know what? So-and-so I know used to do that. And we haven't heard from him in years. Right. Um, Even and then the other. It looked like he was carrying more dough than what he really had. Exactly. And then in the other front pants of the pocket were four fragmentary $1 bills and 64 cents and change. So not a lot of money on, but the other kind of component that does make this different than other kinds of situations is his shoe wear. And he was wearing cowboy boots. Nope. So if Wait. you know anybody um, that was potentially in the Gila County area, the Pinal County area, in 2001 to 2004 and matches this description,
feel free to contact those counties and kind of have a conversation. The case number for this is ML06-0312. I have to tell you guys, if you don't know how to reach out to these families, or not families, these agencies to say, hey, this might be my missing loved one, this might be my missing friend, this might be my missing XYZ, and you don't know how to do that, feel free to reach out to us. We're more than willing to help you guys out. That's one reason we put these unidentified people out there. Because, yeah, we're working on Paul, and that's our main focus right now, but these unidentifieds has no voice and we have zero issue with helping them speak. And if yeah. you need help to help them speak, reach out. And totally I will simple. say, Carrie knows this for a while. My ongoing joke was, oh, I'm calling the medical examiner today because we found some sort of similarity. And most of the medical examiners, I'd say 99.9% .9 of the medical examiners, they have the same goal as we do, as everybody else does, is getting these people identified and kind of trying to give some answers to the families of these people that lost a loved one. Right. Yeah, in fact, it was part of our ongoing joke is she would call me and say, I spoke to my bestie today. And I'm like, oh, yeah, which medical examiner was it this time? How'd you guess? It's always Bruce. <laughs> it's always Bruce. It's always Bruce. <laughs> Bruce and Gavapai. <laughs> Gavapai is good friends, too. So we'd love to hear your memories of Paul, share stories, hear your thoughts and theories. To do so, please join us on our private Facebook group, The Missing Chapters Podcast. You can also email us at themissingchapterspodcast at gmail.com. Also, please like, subscribe, share. The more people that hear about Paul's case, as well as the unidentified persons mentioned, the more we can help bring Paul or somebody home. Thank you for joining us. I also want to tell you guys, we appreciate our initial first listeners. We got six different countries, which is amazing. I want to give a shout out to Arizona because that's where Paul went missing from and where I'm from. And I'm really excited that we had a lot of listeners there. We are everywhere. We've been teasing our spouses that we are now internationally known and things better start doing better by us, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> they don't see the humor in it as much as we do. I mean, they're both great guys, but we still got to kind of, you know, do what we do. So thank you guys for joining us this evening. We hope you have a great day. Bye. Bye.